has anyone done a conversion here and what was their process like? Yeah. And then going through that, I started to get the feedback at that time when I started. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey, it is Sarah Larby. Welcome back. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? I hope you are doing well. And today's guest is Kukin Unosawa, who is a real estate investor specializing in the Burr strategy, legalizing basement apartments, and has been doing so since investing in his first deal back in 2013. He's built a team of professionals, including architects, contractors, property managers, home inspectors, lawyers, insurance agents, and so forth, and has been really building equity, creating that freedom. And it is great to see another investor doing this in, uh, in the Ontario market as well. So if you, uh, if you are interested in uh, legalizing for example, a house to a two unit, three unit, doing conversions, um, taking a bungalow, creating an additional suite in the basement as an example. This is going to be the episode for you. And don't forget guys, if you are interested in the Burr strategy, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat, my Burr Freedom community is starting in January with two monthly calls. So don't miss out. We are going to cap the numbers so that it is still a manageable group. But you guys will have access to everything that I do, including my team members. So we're going to have a call a month, which is going to be content, me speaking and educating on everything that I've been able to do for all of those steps. And the second call of each month is going to be bringing a team member, answering Q&As, um, and being able to create, uh, you know, success for you as well and give you the tools that you need to be able to successfully do the birth strategy in, in any market. So whether it's Ontario, whether it's somewhere in Eastern Canada, Western Canada, or not Canada at all, and you are listening to this and you are interested in learning more about it, don't forget to check that out at sarahlarby.com and all the details are there. So with that said, guys, I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey, Koken, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Good to be here. I'm uh, excited to have you on. So for those that may not know about you or who you are, give us a, a 30,000 foot view. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my name is Koken. I've uh, been investing in real estate now for the past uh, seven years. I got started back in 2013. And uh, yeah, my journey has been, has been a little bit of an interesting one where the reason I got into real estate was my, uh, my parents actually. So our family immigrated to Canada in 2008. And uh, my parents were a little bit older. They didn't really have anything saved for retirement. They were kind of, you know, working, you know, basic entry-level jobs. And I, I was talking to them, hey, you guys are getting older. You need to figure out something to be able to retire. And they didn't know the answer. I didn't know the answer. But we're like, this is a problem we need to solve, right? Um, and then through researching, Googling, just trying to find a solution, I came across, uh, you know, real estate investing and uh, just some websites regarding that. And, uh, and then I told him, hey, <laughs> here's the solution. Let's do it together. So we ended up uh, partnering up. So uh, it, it actually became a whole family endeavor. So me and my brother were the working partners. My parents and my sister were the, the, the JV partners, putting the down payment, putting the uh, credit. Um, and yeah, we got started in uh, buying, you know, like a single family home up in Barrie, semi-detached in Cambridge. And then it just snowballed from there. And then, you know, uh, here we are seven years later. And uh, yeah. It's been a heck of a journey. <laughs> Very cool. So, so like you, I started in 2013 and I started with Googling, but it, it is really cool that you've got the family, you know, involved and everybody, hopefully you guys all get along and you still get along, but everyone <laughs> had the same goals, which was to help them retire. Now I'm sure there was a little bit in it for you guys as well to, yeah. to create yeah. some wealth for, for the kids too, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, in all honesty, we set it up as a traditional joint venture structure which looking back at it, <laughs> we didn't have any experience or knowledge, but we, we wanted to help them figure it out. And cool. they also needed us to take the lead on it. They're, they're not really the type of people entrepreneurial in the sense that they would go out and learn about investing, find tenants and just, you know, figure out all the steps. So they kind of needed us. So it, it, it worked out really well in that sense. And, 
And now actually the first two properties we bought together, we were able to refinance and uh, put another down payment on a fourplex. So I'm actually in one of the units in that fourplex in St. Catharines here, which is also going to be a property that's going to help them to retire. So it's, uh, yeah, it's come a long way since then. Very cool. So now are all of your deals with the family or do you have any on your own as well? Uh, I do have, uh, so one I've recently purchased on my own. I have, uh, I have this one property, the fourplex still with my family, the original two we have since sold. Uh, they were single family homes. They didn't quite cash flow. So after we refinanced, we kept it for a little bit, but then we decided, you know what, it, the markets had really lifted in Barry and Cambridge. So we thought, you know, it makes sense to, to sell those. And uh, I have, I have a couple of properties with my brother and also a couple of properties with, uh, with another joint venture partner as well. So a little bit of a mix, but my, in a funny way, I, I got my start the opposite compared to most investors where I joint ventured first and I eventually got to the point where I could buy a property on my own. Usually people start the other way around, right? They get their own right. properties and then they do joint ventures. But I don't know, my, so recently a, a big part of what I've been spending my time on is like personal development and really focusing on what actually matters to me on a personal level mm -hmm. and then looking at investing, looking at business. Okay. How do I get my business? How do I get my investments to serve that purpose? Right. And the idea at this stage, so in total, I have six properties with all my partners. The idea of taking that to 60, is not one that actually makes me excited. Just, I know each property, like it definitely moves the needle in terms of like financial independence, building wealth, but there's, there's a certain level of work that comes with each property. You have to like care about it, right? You have to, even if you don't manage it yourself, you still need to watch that the manager's doing what they need to do. So because of that, I've, I've decided to shift to almost like growing slower and, you know, get each down payment myself, buy each property myself, and I will accomplish less, but it will be at the speed that I find comfortable. And in the meantime, so I work as a realtor as well. I've been doing this for the last three years. I'm continually building that business. That's what takes 90% mm -hmm. of my time. So I want the investments to work for me on the side, but my goal is not necessarily to take any income from it in the short term. I wanted to, to reinvest it and grow it. Uh, so that maybe 10 years later, right, I've, I've built up something considerable on the investing side. And that, that's kind of where my headspace is at. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think I, you said a lot of really interesting things and I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. And a lot of investors will say, I want 100 properties. I want 50 properties. I want 1,000 properties. <laughs> but, you know, that comes with its ups and downs. And, yeah. and it goes back to what is your goal, right? So for me, like, I don't need a hundred properties, right? I think it was important for me to have my, my own set of properties and then like, you know, now moving forward to JV, but on a smaller scale, because it still matches with my lifestyle that I'm looking at, yeah. right? So the more, yeah. the more deals that you do, the more JVs that you have, in a way, like the more problems you have, yes, you can, yeah. you know, scale faster, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to do better. And one of the things I was talking to my mortgage broker about is she's looking because she sees a lot of portfolios, but then she sees some people with dozens and dozens and dozens of properties, but it doesn't mean that they cash flow that well either. It doesn't yeah. mean that they're in as good of a situation as somebody that might only have half of that as an example. So it, it's really property dependent. Um, yeah. And I, and I do want to go back to what you, you've talked about with JVs and not JVs and, you know, just to get your take on it. So, you know, for me, I'm going into the JV world moving forward. It was important for me to build my own or own portfolio, but I'm curious to see, you know, what your, your thoughts are on joint venturing and then what the pros and cons are in your opinion. So I, I, I feel joint venturing definitely has a place in it. And the, the reason I say that is it's not for everyone, for sure, both as the active partner or the passive partner. Some passive joint venture partners actually should be active because they're super interested. They're super eager. They want to learn, right? And they, there are some great passive partners where they're like, you know, they do something else. They make their money. They want time with their family, but they want to own real estate, but they want nothing to do with that real estate. They just want to own a piece of it, right? But just in the line of my work where 
I work with investors. I sort of walk them through, okay, you know, this is the type of property we want to look at. This is what the rents are, right? Trying to help them assess it. In the conversations that I have with my clients, there is definitely a distinction between the few that really take it far, right? Where, you know, they're a hundred percent into it. They'll, so for example, a lot of work I do is in Welland and Welland is not close to the GTA, right? So I'll have clients in, you know, Milton, Mississauga, Toronto, driving out to Welland like twice a week, they're in like knees deep, making sure the contractors are doing their thing, renting out the properties and, you know, really involved, right? Wanting to take action versus some of my other clients where they say they're interested, but I can really see it's hard for them to even pull the trigger. There's a lot of fear that comes in investing, especially if it's their first time, right? And I'm sure you know this as well, coaching your clients, it's especially getting started is probably the biggest first step. So it's for a lot of those people, I can really see, hey, if you just partnered up with someone, even if it's for your first property, it would take a lot of the fear out of the equation. and. Then the next one, if you want to do it on your own, you can, right? Because you, you've you now taken that step. Your brain has more data to know that, hey, this investing idea is actually sound, right? Because when, when fear comes into the equation, it's like almost all reason gets thrown out the window because there's this fear that, hey, what if I just lose everything, right? What if the market crashes? What if this property we buy is, uh, is not what we expect, right? And... Yeah, you know, <laughs> in a funny way, when, when I got started as an investor, I was so naive that I wasn't scared because I, so my family literally never owned a property in our lives. So they had no data of what it, what owning a property was. I, I was, to be honest, I was 17 when I, when I was looking for my first property and 18 when we bought it, right? So an 18 year old has no like, I mean, Specifically to me, maybe there are smart 18 year olds out there, but <laughs> I didn't know, I had no context, right, of what taking a mortgage out was. And I had to learn all these terms almost in the process of buying it that I didn't even know it fully by the time we bought the first property. And the funny part is most of the fears that most beginner investors have, most of those things happen to us. Like we had a vacancy of like six months long, right? Crazy, crazy experience. We had, when we bought the first properties, we had both our tenants leave at the same time. And then we found two new tenants. And in the first two years that happened twice. So we were living in Toronto at this time, my family, and we'd be driving up to Barrie to show it one day, to Cambridge to show it the next day, twice per week, twice on each property. It was a but how much really do you actually, you learn so much by, by going in and, and making those mistakes. I will say, you know, the opposite could, could hurt you too, where you overanalyze everything yes. and you know so much that yeah. you just sit there waiting for that perfect deal, that a perfect deal probably won't come for a very, very long time. Right. Absolutely. And so I think there's, there's a good balance between the two, between just jumping yeah. in and not knowing it anything versus and you know the, the opposite of just not doing anything because you're so scared because you know too much and yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that the most that you will learn is by doing it and making some of those mistakes 100 hopefully 100%. they're not expensive mistakes and you can learn yeah. from others <laughs> expensive yeah. mistakes so that they don't need to be yours <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely. but you know it's uh it's good to see because you would not be where you are today if you didn't jump in at that point in time <laughs> likely right and that yeah. and that you know, I say real estate is very forgiving in a way, hang on to it for long enough. And, uh, and, and even a, a you know, a $20,000 mistake at some point just, you know, erases itself in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I had the blessing of working with a realtor that understood investments. She was an investor herself. She had been uh, doing that for a good few years. She managed her own properties. So she had that experience of finding tenants going through the process. So even though we were naive, I didn't know what I was getting into, but she had my back. She was looking out for the things that I didn't even know what to ask. Mm -hmm. She was already looking out for me, right? So I think in this journey, you're absolutely right. Taking action is going to make you learn way more than not. But then at the same time, surround yourself with the people who do have the experience and have your back, right? So that they're going to guide you in that right way to, to avoid those, those mistakes that will take you out of the game. That's the worst, right? If you have a mistake that takes you out of the game, quit real estate, sell all your properties, you, you can't you can't get back from that. But if it's if it's mistakes like 
the vacancy. For example, you're absolutely right. We spent, I think, $26,000 or something along that line in terms of carrying costs. So me and my brother, as the, so something I'll probably never do ever again, but we realized that it was our inexperience that led to such a long vacancy. So we, me and my brother told my family that, listen, we'll cover the carrying cost because it's kind of on us. That was our role. And we, because we didn't know what to do, we will cough it up. We never got that money back until we sold the properties. Right. So that was like our tuition to learn and really learn. And that pain sometimes is really what you need to to take that step forward, right? So. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And just to go back, like, you know, we would not be here if it wasn't for a good solid team of people. And it's hard in the beginning, if you don't know anybody in the industry to figure out how to start. But I think like the easiest way I could tell you, unless you're hiring a coach, you're, you're, you know, going to networking events or whatnot, the easiest way to start, in my opinion, anyways, is once you pick your market, pick your realtor, that's an investor also themselves doing the strategy. That's also very important. The strategy that you want and utilize their team. And at some point you can, you can change the players on the team, but at least you're, you're setting yourself up with decent team members or good team members or great team members. If you're, it's good for your realtor as an investor to have them on board, likely they're good people too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in a funny way, that's why I became a realtor because I, I could see that the realtor I was working with gave me so much value right? Because I was a new investor. I didn't know anything. She was teaching me all the steps along the way. And at that time I was, I was kind of thinking, okay, what career can I do? I I'm super interested in investing. I can't really see any other career path. Why don't I just go deep into this and actually teach others what I've learned to that point. And I didn't really know that much, but it was still enough that I could start helping others to, to get into the game. So you, you're, you're absolutely right that 
building a team, finding a realtor, right, and utilizing their network is a big part. This may kind of go back, though, in terms of what you mentioned about coaching, right, having a coach. I notice within my own clients and even in my own business. So I've hired real estate coaches um, and even specifically as an agent, I've hired a coach who trains real estate agents for the last two years. The money spent in coaching, it's ridiculous the rate of return you get because when someone ahead of you in the game can point you in the right direction and help you see the things that you don't even see, it it moves the needle way more than mm -hmm. pretty much anything you can do. So this is the funny thing though. A new investor considering paying a large amount of money in coaching, it's a scary thought, but it's hard to convince someone otherwise, but if they did that with the long-term in mind that you know they're gonna do this for the next 10 years, get set up on the right foundation to begin with and then have that accountability of having a coach to you know give them that little push when when the fear starts setting in to, to get started they will actually like looking back even at myself right i had a realtor that understood investment so that was a big part of it but had i invested in a coach right from the get-go i would have probably done more but anyways I'm still grateful for the journey that I've had, but I can, I can really see even within my clients, like one client in particular, he's, he's now on his seventh duplex conversion. And the reason we met was we had a, a common real estate coach. And at that time, he was still sort of getting the foundation, getting the pieces in place, figuring out the strategy. But then once he took off, he just really took off and investing that money up front and, and that time to, to learn and really think about it, it, like he's done now far more than most of my clients because of he put that money up front. He put that effort up front, energy to learn. So yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to almost convey this to someone who hasn't experienced it. Right. Because like, even for myself, when I got started, like the idea of paying like $10,000 to a coach, that's what I paid to my current coach each year. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's the best money I'm spending in my business all the money on advertising, marketing, or like all these other expenses are the rate of return on coaching is like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Right. So anyways. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree too. Like you, when I first started, I didn't know anyone and I made a lot of mistakes and yeah. now I, I hired. So like, you know, depending, and everyone's going to have different coaches that will work for yeah. them. Right. So like if, for example, you want to do a certain strategy, find a coach that's doing that strategy presently as well right and so and in and likely in the markets that you want to be invested in so you when you look at like coaching you know maybe somebody doing something in the u.s if you're not interested in, in u.s investing mm. you know might not be as good as getting somebody that's doing what you're doing for canada because the markets are, are quite different so you know definitely coaching 100 like i've got some coaches of my own as well that i've hired now to help me as well with with different things that i want to do but ultimately it's important to pick them right and, and to That's pick true. the ones that you know are doing what you want to do or that are where you want to be. Cause I'll tell yeah. you, there's lots of coaches out there that could be great coaches, but the last property that they bought was 10 years ago. Well, you know, so much happens even in a couple of years at some point you you've got to make sure that that person's current for you. Mm -hmm. That's true. Absolutely true. But hundred percent agree. So, so what's your strategy? Like, I mean, you talked a little bit about, basement conversions, duplexing, you've talked about Wallen, you know, walk us through that a bit, what you do. Yeah. So if I can share just how I got to that point. So duplex conversions are my, my bread and butter right now. That's, that's where I'm seeing the most value, but I, I took this long path to get to that point. Right. So uh, first of all, I was doing work in the Hamilton market. Right. And then I was just noticing prices were increasing multiple offers. And I, I was like, okay, where is the trend going to? Right. At that time, it was moving towards St. Catharines. So started looking at St. Catharines. And then I, I started, I found out that the city of St. Catharines is actually quite difficult. I did a du duplex conversion there and the, some of the building inspectors can be very challenging. The planning department can be quite challenging. So <laughs> my project there, another horror story, but it worked out. It took a year and three months from start to finish of our duplex conversion. Now we had many, many challenges. Part of it was us, part of it was, you know, our team that we had to do that project, but 
it was definitely a painful, painful experience for us, our joint venture partners. It was vacant for that entire time. We didn't have one unit to rent out. It was a full renovation, top to bottom, carrying costs for that entire time. The renovation went, I think, 40000 50000 over budget. Uh, crazy. You probably made all the mistakes in the book with that one, but lots of them, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, so learning from that, I, I went through this phase of, okay, let's, let's cut the duplex conversion. It's way too much renovations. Let's find something better. Right. So I looked for something better and all I could find is specifically in the Niagara region, there's not a lot of newer multifamily properties, right? So many of the duplex, triplex, fourplexes were these old hundred year old properties that some of them were renovated, right? So some of them, all the mechanicals had been taken out, redone, but you know, your floors are, are, are sloped and it, it's quite a bit of the older style of property. And, and many of the clients I was working with, they were like, I don't want to buy a property that was built in the twenties, right? Like they want a newer property that has like a poor concrete foundation and has like better like bones, so to speak. Right. So I was like, okay, where can I get a property that is built, not new, but a little bit newer, like fifties through to maybe the nineties, right. Somewhere in that range, but can still cash flow because I, I can buy these single families all day long. And in the Niagara region, in a funny way, you can still cash flow on a single family home, but it, it's tiny, right? If you want tiny, to, yeah. mm-hmm. if you want to build some margin there, it's yeah. So I, I was looking and I was like, okay, so the duplex conversion is a strategy. Investors are doing it, but I, my experience was painful, right? Where can I learn from this and what can I change to still do it? So what I, what I was looked into at that time was the city of Welland and finding out, okay, this city has a lot of good things going for it. It's a smaller city, a little bit further away. Prices were a little bit less, which helped, right? And then I started to, to talk to other investors and learn, okay, how good is the planning department? How good are the building inspectors? Has anyone done a conversion here? And what was their process like? Yeah. And then going through that, I started to get the feedback. At that time when I started, I didn't know any one person that had done a conversion in Welland, but every other permitted renovation I could hear of seemed to go smoothly. So people would apply for a permit, things would go smoothly. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. I will and- say versus like St. Catharines, not to interrupt you and I'll let you finish, but Welland <laughs> is much more like they, they welcome investors. They want yeah. investor money, you know, and, and you look at St. Catharines and I feel like it's the opposite. But anyways, those are my two cents, but keep, keep talking. <laughs> 
absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so it, it that learning that was the first step. And then I had this one client who, who's done the most conversion so far. We, we discussed this, okay, is this an idea you want to try out, right? Because he, he was also in that phase of he wanted to grow, but the existing multifamily was not quite what he wanted, specifically the age and also being rented under market, right? When, when you have rents that are like 50% of the market rate, you can get them maybe for a good price, but unless you have some way of getting the rents up to the market, it was a tough, tough gig, right? So with a duplex conversion, you can buy essentially a bungalow or a back split, a side split, just any normally single family home with a bit of space. And then you split it into two legal separate units. And the nice part about it is you're typically buying it for, from someone who's uh, from an owner. So they're moving out on the purchase. So it's completely vacant. You get to set the market rents. And, and the curious thing recently, actually, well, 2018 is not super recent, but with the change in the rent control rules, what I learned is that the basement apartment is considered a new dwelling unit right. and, actually, and actually doesn't have rent controls, which is, <laughs> which is sweet. So you, you buy a couple of these, half your portfolio doesn't have rent controls, right? So yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, as, as of 2018, November, I can't remember if it was November 16th or something, know, mid-November of 2018, yes. anything that's new, a new dwelling. Which was curious though, because the, so it, before this, I think it was like 1995 was the, this, the start of 91, 91. right? Yeah. Was the new construction, new construction from that point didn't have rent controls. Rent controls came back and then it flipped back. But when it flipped back, specifically in the wording I was reading on the government website, in brackets was example, basement suite, legal basement suite or basement apartment, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't see that previously though. So, I mean, previously basement apartments weren't necessarily a, a common part, right? Ontario had to pass out their rules. So anyways, it, it, it's nice. It's, it's a, just a little bonus, right? You get to set the market rents and then maybe 10 years into the future when your rents are significantly on the market, there's you're not stuck to the 2%. So. Yeah. I mean, like, so I tell this to a lot of my students too. If you've got a tenant that wants to be somewhere very long-term, try to get them into the basement unit with no rent controls. <laughs> and then somebody that, you know, has a goal to buy a house two to five years out, those are perfect for the top unit. But I, I will say like right now, and, and who knows if this will pass, I'm thinking it likely will, Ford is trying to put a freeze on, on rent increases for next year. And that would also include all all dwellings even after oh, 2018. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I feel like it's, it's a thing with votes being yeah. a landlord and an investor in this, in this market, clearly we're not, we're not appreciated in my opinion, yeah. but it is what it is. But you know, like, again, you know, do they really need to stop it? It was 1.8%, 2.2%. Is that really anything? But unfortunately taxes go up and other things go up. You're in a way, I, I think that it's going to exacerbate the, the shortage issue and people are just going to get fed up and, you know, decide to do something else. But I'll tell you, real estate got me where I am today. It looks like it got you where you are today, but there is definitely some some red tape and there's definitely some things and hurdles that we've got to jump over. And this is likely going to be the, you know, the, uh, the latest one. <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned in terms of those challenges, especially of expenses increasing, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't do a lot of work in the commercial space, but recently I've started to help uh, specifically one client look for commercial leases and they're also looking to buy places. And like, while I'm going through this process with them, I'm, I'm like trying to learn as much as possible. Is there an opportunity here to own commercial real estate versus the residential? And definitely it comes with its own challenges of like long vacancies, more down right. payments, all of that. Right. But it's seeing the triple net lease where it's specifically a lease where the tenant pays their rent and they pay everything else. The taxes, uh, the maintenance, the utilities, and you know, yeah. any upgrades that they want to do, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And and in these cases, it's it's interesting. This specific client is budgeting like half a million to build out their business each time they rent a space. So looking at it from an investment point of view, if I owned a property and my tenant was sinking that much capital into like making this space work for them, signing a 10 year lease. And it, there's, <laughs> it, it definitely intrigues me, right? Just to see, is there, is there somewhere, definitely it's not for a new investor, but maybe if, if you get a good few properties, you build some equity and, and you want to roll it over. I'm, I'm just, 
I'm still in the research phase. I'm not recommending it to anyone, but I'm still trying to just learn as much as possible through the process to see is there is there an opportunity there, you know, in the future to own a few commercial buildings. And if you have a 10-year lease and you figure out a way to reduce that vacancy, that's the biggest part, to have that, like a good tenant lined up, right? Because if you imagine, there, there are people. So I, I look in Welland, right? Just driving around, there are these small commercial properties that are just a box and a national bank or a BMO mm-hmm. or a TD has their branch. If you could have a tenant of a bank who's like going to stay there for the next 20, 30, 40 years, taking care of everything, like, I don't know, it, it intrigues me. Right. It definitely makes commercial real estate, especially in times like this. Well, once this, you know, COVID stuff is all over, quite intriguing. And it's funny that you mentioned it because I was actually thinking like with all of the rent freezes and all the different things that they're doing, you know, it may not be a, a great time today, but at some point there is going to be a new level of normalcy, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point people are still going to want to go out and, and do things. I think there's going to be an opportunity to potentially buy at a good price if a lot of things become vacant. But again, it has, in my opinion, also more risk associated with it. However, I, I agree with you. Like, you know, it's, you don't, you're not stuck with the LTB. You're not stuck with the residential tenancies act or, or, you know, the whole landlord tenant board stuff, you know, it's, it's a business. And so I was all, you know, I've, I'm still looking at storage units. I'm still looking at different things like that, where, you know, our hands aren't as tied as being a residential landlord. Now that's not to say I'm not going to continue buying residential. I think that there's always a great spot for that. But it's not a horrible idea to different, like diversify, you know, a little bit into other asset classes in real estate as well. Yeah, I definitely see a future there somewhere. It's I'm again, I'm just figuring this out as I go along. So this is almost one of the things that I've always done in in the past, like during my investing. It's like I'll have you know my bread and butter, something I'm focusing on, but. When someone speaks to me about an opportunity or they mention something, I'll dig into it. I'll research it, right? Um, like I, I focus on the Niagara region, but when someone speaks to me, oh, look at this area, this type of property. I don't like to deviate too much, but I'll still look into it and I'll, I'll see, hey, is there an opportunity there? Is there something that I don't know that right. may change the way I look at things, right? So that's the same way I look yeah. at this. When I earlier in in the journey, I so I own uh, three condo units of um, student rentals in Mississauga, near the University of Toronto, Mississauga. When I got started, everyone was telling me, "Hey, you can't buy anything in Mississauga; it's too expensive, right?" Because it was <laughs> really expensive. Nothing cash flows mm-hmm. in Mississauga. Those properties actually had $700 condo fees when I bought it. So like all the red flags were going off. It had fraud happen in that building, right? And every unit owner was paying um, like these special assessments, right? So all these (laughs) red flags were there. But then I looked at it. These were five, six bedroom, like stacked condominium townhouses that was on a direct bus route to UTM, right? University of Toronto Mm -hmm. in Mississauga. I'm like, wait a second, if people in McMaster are renting out their rooms at that time, maybe for 500 bucks a room, can't I do the same thing and then deduct my condo fee, deduct that special assessment, deduct all my expenses? Is there still some cash flow? And those properties now from the equity standpoint have done like so well, just city of Mississauga, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. a ridiculous place to invest. Um, but even from a cash flow standpoint, they were like north of a thousand dollars in cash flow almost from day one, right? And that experience has taught me that, you know what? Like, so this is where it's, there's two almost lessons. One is follow the, the beaten path to a certain degree. If people are, you know, making money in duplex conversions, if you replicate what they do, you will likely succeed. But at the same time, what I learned from that experience with the student rentals is, you know, be open to looking at ideas that may not be conventional mm-hmm. and, and do your due diligence, right? Go through the process, run your numbers, look at what the potential rents are, because maybe that's, that's an opportunity that no one else is looking at. And it, it worked out in that case, right? So. 
Yeah. I mean, that is a good point. And the other thing I would just say is while like, you know, we're always talking about like different strategies and that kind of stuff. And like my, my biggest fear for people is that they just don't take action because it's like, Oh, should I do commercial now? Should I do this now? Should I do that now? You know, pick a strategy, understand it, get really good at it, you know, have a main strategy and then maybe have a secondary strategy or something. Right. So, and, and then when, when you have more experience and you get more comfortable, you've got more capital, you have more connections and you can start expanding and, and doing some things outside the box for sure. But I would just say, you know, everybody that you probably talk to Koken and, and people who I speak to, they, they all have different ways of doing things. Even the birth strategy, you could do it differently. And there's successful people in every single strategy that you do. And so just don't have that ability to like have the ability to say, I'm, this is the strategy I'm going to pick because this is what yes. makes sense for my experience level, my time frame, the capital I have, et cetera, et cetera. This is a cool strategy, but I'm not going to get sidetracked by looking at too many things where I do nothing. Right. So that's yes. the, the only other thing I would just say is, you know, start focusing on, on one thing first, get good at that before you, you move on to too many other things. So you're absolutely right. And in my case, I was exactly that person that was looking at all these strategies Mm -hmm. and I implemented, which also didn't necessarily serve me. So I tested so many things when had I looking back, had I just like dropped everything, just done one thing and replicated it, I may actually be further ahead. Right. So I've, I've done the conversion. I've, I bought this multi like four, four unit building to do a bird, right. To buy out the leases, do all that. My duplex, I furnished it and tried to Airbnb it for two years. And so I've, I've just gone all over the map. And even those first single family rentals, I, I started with trying to do the rent to own and then switch back to the single family rentals, right? So it was a good learning experience to try all these different things. But now I'm at this point where it's like, okay, the duplex conversion works. I'm just going to do that for the next, call it 10 properties I buy. And I'm not going to rush it. Just, just let it happen naturally. And once I've built that base, then if I don't want to keep doing that anymore, I'll look elsewhere. But mm-hmm. like almost to cut out the noise so that I can actually really dive into the one strategy and figure it out, right? Because in a duplex conversion, you've got to have the right contractors. You have to have a good designer. You have to have the right team in place, right? And you need to know which city to invest. So all these different factors that come in, I feel I finally figured it out. So instead of now figuring out something else, let me just implement it and just grow that right so yeah absolutely really well said i uh, i'm really enjoying our conversation but the next part of the podcast is our lightning round so i'm right. going to ask you a series of five questions you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind are you ready okay all right number one what is your favorite real estate investing book ever uh rich dad poor dad it was the first one i read and it's it's a classic right uh, most yeah. <laughs> investors start with that so yeah. for sure number two if you are a podcast listener which one do you listen to the most or is your favorite? So recently I've been watching, I've been listening to the rational reminder. Um, it's, it's actually an, it's a podcast about investing run by financial planners, but they don't like real estate investing, which is the most fascinating thing. However, I find that they're highly intelligent and they understand investments. So I'm so curious to hear what is their take on it and their perspective on it. So I, I've been fascinated because their views were, are contradictory to mine, but it's, it's interesting to hear what their perspective is. So <laughs> I've been digging into that. Yeah, that would be interesting. Now, the only thing I would just say with financial planners is it depends how they get paid, right? Because if they get paid fee like upfront, then they're likely going to give you the best advice. And I can go in a whole soapbox discussion on this. Absolutely. But, you know, and I was a financial advisor for three months and I, I just didn't want to do it because it wasn't the right, you know, the right way, I think, to educate people. That's just my opinion. Please don't kill me, people. But, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, a lot of them make commission by selling mutual funds and segre- segregated funds Absolutely. and all that stuff. And in order for them to keep making a paycheck, they need to push you into these things. So if you're going to hire a financial advisor, financial planner, just make sure that they're fee only. So, so I would go back and I, and I haven't seen, heard the podcast. I'm sure it's great for the opinions, but always be careful where somebody's coming from, from what, yeah. what viewpoints and, and what is it in it for them as well. Right. So anyways, oh, that that's, was my that's box. Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Number three, what is your favorite pastime? What do you do for fun when it's not work or real estate? For fun. So recently I've been in a bit of a grind where I'm putting in like 12 hour days. Um, but past, yeah, I love ice skating. Um, I was a huge fan of ice skating when I was a kid and it's, it's something that it really relaxes me uh, when I'm on the ice. I played hockey for a bit. I, I was never really any good at it, but just plain old ice skating, going around the rink, it's, it's something that I love. Awesome. Very cool. Number four, if you lost all of your money and assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I don't know if I'd build it the same way. I may actually, I'd probably start a business, right? And just reinvest into that business until it produced like enough for me to live off of real estate would be in the equation as well. Right. Uh, real estate investing is a big part. Oh, that's an interesting question. So if I lost everything, except I assume my knowledge, right. Just like what I've learned. Yeah. I'd probably start from a pure financial standpoint at daycare. Daycares apparently make so much money. It's ridiculous, but uh, that would actually be exciting in a funny way. It's like, some of the decisions that I have to make now are like almost calculated, right? Like I don't want to lose what I've built. So I can't like go all out into this something else. Right. Mm -hmm. So to, to not have anything and to just be able to start from scratch, that idea actually excites me to the point that I wonder if I may actually try to do that in the future where it's like, okay, just forget about everything I made. I've seen some shows about that actually, like these undercover billionaires, right? Like this guy goes to like a town, he like <laughs> starts from scratch, like starts a brewery, I think. And I don't know, actually, I'd have to give it more thought to like know the step-by-step -step plan, but that idea actually really excites me in a funny way. <laughs> Interesting. So it may or may not be real estate. Okay. That's, that's, that's honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel real estate is a great long-term wealth building Mm -hmm. But if I had nothing, I think creating an income first would be more important in that place so that I could then take that and put it into real estate. Yeah, I'd probably start by working for free for other successful either investors or business owners and provide so much value that they start paying me because they don't want to lose me and then either find a way to do it myself, or if they compensate me enough, continue to work for them, that would probably, yeah, working for free would be a big part of getting started. I find most people are not willing to, to do anything for free when the reality is if you have no experience, no knowledge and no money, it's probably the best way to get access to people. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to get access to, right? So uh, to be completely upfront with you right now with my, my, realtor coach, right? Who's been coaching me for the last two years. I'm now helping him build out his coaching business where he's having some group coaching sessions and I'm helping him to co-lead some of those sessions and I get paid nothing from it, but I get to learn from him how he coaches people. So it's almost like I'm learning a new skill of how to coach. And in that, I don't know if there's an amount of money I could have paid him to get that kind of training specifically from him. Right. Because I feel he's like a master at like digging deep into people and finding out what, what like gets them alive. So anyways, it's, it's just an example, but working for free is, is something I highly recommend. And it may sound funny, but it's, it's probably one of the, especially if you're young, if you're young, you have no commitments and you need to get started, find someone that, you feel like, you know, they're doing what you want to do and just tell them like, not forever, but for a month, for two months, right? Just, I'll work for free. Tell me anything you want me to do and just teach me as much as you can during the process, right? So. Okay. All right, cool. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? In real estate specifically? It's In an open-ended question, so you can answer however you want. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably recommend to them what I did to buy the first property with my own capital that I bought with my brother, where it's, I think 50,000 now may not be enough to buy a property. There's not too many options, good options at two fifty thousand almost. So if you can qualify for something with a lower down payment, 
then I would start with that. If you can't, I would find someone like-minded, right? Maybe they also have the same amount, partner up, do a 50-50, get, get started. Specifically for me, like I mentioned, if I had 50,000 and nothing else, I would put that money into coaching to start with. Not all of it, but you know, a good chunk of it. And then find some sort of business or some service I could provide of value to others where I could get paid for it right over time and learn from a coach that could really guide me in the right direction so that I can take that 50, make it into something more. And then now I have something substantial to invest. So mm -hmm. that would be the, the route I would go. All right. Awesome. Koken, where can listeners reach out and find out more about you? Yeah, so I have a few resources. If, if you want to just watch, uh, I have quite a few videos I post on YouTube. So if you search my name, uh, Koken, right? K-O-U-K-U-N. Uh, you can find my YouTube channel. There's a, there's a good bit of content already. And I'm trying to sort of document the process that my clients are going through, especially with these duplex conversions with their investing. So you can just watch it for free there. Um, I do have a couple of reports I've created as well. One is on creating a legal basement apartment. So if you go to legalbasementapartment.ca, it's a guide I've created with my uh, designer. Uh, so he's a BCIN, right? Uh, kind of like an architect, but for residential. So we've created that report together on what are the requirements to create a legal basement apartment. So you can get that there. Uh, and I created another simple guide on investing in the Niagara region, just some of the high level overview, what's going for the Niagara region um, at niagarainvestor.ca. So, uh, those are kind of the, the best uh, resources that I have. <laughs> Amazing. Koken, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on and thanks for sharing your insights. Awesome. Glad to be on. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.